Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Micro, a podcast for short but powerful writing. I'm your host, Drew Hawkins. Foul breath and foils, half stories and half truths. From the top of the stairs to the attic, enter the looking glass with three ominous shorts on this episode. Our first piece is as layered as a flight of stairs emphasizing the connection between past, present, and future. It's called Vertigo, or A Swarming of Ghosts. It was written by Ross Showalter and published in Rejection Letters. Enjoy. Whenever I stare down a flight of stairs, I feel closer to death. When I was five, I almost tumbled downstairs. That would have been easier then, but my parents forgot that day. My daddy said, I didn't push you when I turned to face him. Forty years later, I think of him still, whenever I look down. My vision trims every time. Never man that I feel eyes to my back every time I can. Never man that I dip for my husband for any reason. Never man. They all show the path just behind me now. Ross Showalter is a short story writer, essayist, and critic based in the Pacific Northwest. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Ross Showalter or on his website at rossshowalter.com. Tension rises in our second piece, slipping into the forest with a witch. It's called Let It Out. It was written by Cheryl Pappas and published in the Leon Literary Review. Enjoy. Let it out. I stole my witch from the forest years ago. She's with me today in my purse as I walk the mossy path with my children. She's niggling and fussing at me, clamping her gums at me. Slap, slap, slap. I zip her up. I show the girls the lines of an oak leaf and how they are like constellations. 
You can always trace them. You just need to know how to look. They are young, my girls. They ask about origins, but not about their father anymore. I tell them mostly what I know, but I've never explained about the witch. She nestles next to me at night, in bed, hisses that my breath is foul. Do you like to burn, girl? She says to me most nights, around two. My husband died at that time. He was at his lover's house and there was a terrific fire. Not a thing left, not even a letter or a shoe. Soon after that I found my witch in the forest. She was sitting on a branch over the creek. I thought she was a girl's doll at first, but I knew. I snuck her in my purse. I knew what for. Today we're here again. I might put her back. I might stuff her tiny mouth with moss. I might bury her in the mud. I might drown her in the creek. I might keep her. I might have lit the match. Cheryl Pappas is the author of the flash fiction chapbook, The Clarity of Hunger, published by Word West Press. You can find her on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fabulous Pappas, or on her website at CherylPappas.net. Our third and final piece entangles roles of parents, lovers, language, and identity with two children and an intimate game of dress-up. Written by Celeste Chen and published in Shenandoah Literary, it's called Vows. Enjoy. The first time I watched Godfrey juicing Ma's perfume across his shoulders, he's been living in our attic for about a week. Don't tell anyone, he says, holding a finger to his mouth. He's drawn his lips on ribbon-like, and they're so red they hug his face like two freshly cleaved tongues. Ma could easily mistake him for a ghost, I'm thinking, and this is why I nod. Sure, I say, all careless. Sure, I won't say anything at all. Godfrey's mother is dead. According to Ma, Godfrey is living with us because his father is in trouble and our mothers were best friends, except she doesn't say were. Everyone knows there's no real past tense in Chinese, that everything just continues, just goes on and on until people's mouths forget the shape of words or until the words themselves stop existing. It's easy to erase a memory like that. Stamp out numbers like six and four, maybe even 1997 one day. You can guess the rest. Once, Ma could have broken the friendship. She could have said, stop. I don't want this anymore. I don't want your son. But she didn't, and Godfrey's mother didn't. So here we are, marinating in half stories and half truths. Godfrey is living with us. This is true. His father is in trouble. Possible, but unverifiable. Our mothers were best friends. See? 
A half truth and a half story, one missing an end. Just a mouth, no asshole. How did she die? I want to ask. Ma warns me against mentioning Godfrey's mother, so I shut my mouth and clench my asshole, islanding myself. Happier here, I say instead. The next time I step into the attic, Godfrey's wearing Ma's old sundress. She hasn't worn it in years, had stopped wearing it after Ba died. In this way, Godfrey is stealing from us, from me. You're not my mother, I say when he turns around, and he nods. I am not your mother. He pleats the dress at its empire waist, bunching up the fabric. What's it like, though? He asks. What's it like, being a girl? He turns in the mirror and tilts his hips, down and up, until they bracket the air, till they make a bowl around nothing. I don't know, I say, but you're wearing it all wrong. I tell him to close his eyes, and when he does, I anoint him with Ma's secret scent, blurring jasmine across his forehead, even though I tell him it's jessamine, the word soft and smooth, like our brains smudging against bone. Afterwards, I show Godfrey where she hides the glass vial. Our fingers tangled, we, swallow, we swaddle it up in scarves that predate the idea of me. When we pull apart, he looks right like a weed blooming from the carpet. I tell him so, my inside's already jealous, and he laughs. I think you're a better fit, he says. I can already feel it. Then he looks at me thoughtfully. Next time, I say. Next time, we'll trade. Here is a story that's missing a beginning. A magic trick. What Godfrey and I do in the attic is this. He hides in my skin and I in his. What's it like, he'll ask, and he'll press his mouth against the crook of my elbow, or along the bend behind my knee. He'll whisper into it, into each crack of me, each hole. Hung, I'll answer, and he'll giggle at the trick of language, the way it shrouds what I mean. Hung, as in breast. Hung, as in hollow. The same tone, the meaning lashed with different strokes. Hung, he'll repeat dazedly. We chatter the words until it wriggles along our mouths. Godfrey, I'll whisper afterwards, kissing my reflection and I'll see Godfrey's chest and Godfrey's face and Godfrey's cock. Thank you, Godfrey will say behind me, and he'll lull out the words with my lips, with the stem of my throat. In another world, one of rivers and blown glass skies and wild swordsmen, one where women may carry in of men with poison and dagger, we would swear a blood oath, the sort where we prick our fingers and collect the juice into a patient chalice. We would swirl in the drops and cut them with wine, coppering it with our promise. We would raise our hands as if hugging a tree, then bow, and finally we would seam our lips around the rim and slide brotherhood hot and steaming into our muscular bellies. This story is not a new one. If I died, you would become wife to my husband and mother to my children, I say in Godfrey's voice while looking into my eyes. If I died, you would become husband to my wife, father to my children, he returns. Our bodies steeple in the indigo night. There is nothing more to hide, nothing more to say. Our faces mirror each other, our bodies too.
Celeste Chen writes in her living room, which smells like turpentine. You can find her on Twitter at CelesteDish underscore, or on her website at CelesteCeleste.card.co. Micro is edited and curated by Dylan Evers and produced and hosted by me, Drew Hawkins. Our theme song is by Matt Ordez. You can find more of our shows on LitHub, our website at micropodcast.org, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to check out our new interview series with Kirsten Renault called Five Cues with Kirsten for some really great, short, and insightful talks with writers featured on the show. We've got a full transcript of this episode up on our website and subtitles for those who need it on our YouTube page, which you can find on our website as well. Check out the show notes for links to the pieces featured on this episode and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podcast Micro. Thanks for listening.